This morning we're going to continue our study on faith, and we're going to look specifically this morning at the fact that our faith gives us freedom. We all know that Jesus came to bring us freedom from the imprisonment of sin and its consequences, which the devil used to have hold of in our lives, Jesus broke on the cross once and for all. But many of us, even though we are believers, we still live like we're in bondage. Even though we're free, we live like we're slaves. And so that's what we're going to look at this morning. Our passage that we're going to be reflecting on is found in Mark 9, and we're going to look at verses 14 to 29. It'll be on the screen behind me, but please feel free to turn to it now as it's read for us. When they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. What are you arguing with them about, he asked. A man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought you my son, who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. You unbelieving generation, Jesus replied. How long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought him. When the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It has often thrown him into fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for one who believes. Immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. When Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet and he stood up. After Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, this kind can only come out by prayer. Thank you, Herbie. <clears throat> there are four responses that I want us to look at this morning. We're going to take a look at Jesus' response to the Father, to the disciples, to the boy's situation, and to us. We're going to look at the Father's response the disciples' response, and then finally, what is our response? If we start in verse 19, we see Jesus' response. He says, O unbelieving generation, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up 
with you. Bring the boy to me. And if we read that account in Matthew, it would have said, unbelieving and perverse generation. Yikes. I recoil every time I read those words. And when I took this passage and started to unpack it, I was looking forward to finding out that the Greek words meant something different than the English words. But that's not what I found. Unbelieving means unbelieving. And perverted or perverse means to oppose or distort or turn aside from the right path. Put up with means to hold up, to hold oneself erect and firm, to sustain, to bear, to endure. But even though those words sound like Jesus was being harsh in response to what was happening, I actually don't think that's the case. As I studied this passage and looked at what happened before this situation and what was coming after this situation, I actually don't think Jesus was annoyed or impatient. I think the tone was more one of angst and longing for his disciples and for those that were around. See, Jesus had been traveling all over with his disciples, performing miracles, raising people from the dead, healing people who were sick, casting out demons. The disciples were watching this with their very own eyes. They were even participating in some of these activities themselves, Jesus' power flowing through them, proclaiming that the kingdom of God was here now. They had been a part of it. They'd witnessed it. Not only that, they'd just come off the transfiguration. They'd witnessed this supernatural occurrence that was so powerful to them, they wanted to erect altars in memory of the significant thing they'd just borne witness to. Further evidence that Jesus was God. And Jesus had just told them that he was going to be dying. And so that's the context in which Jesus said these words. And so when I think about that, I hear them a little differently. This is how I hear them. You can take it or leave it. I kind of hear him saying, come on. Come on, you can get there. You can get it. You've seen me. You've seen what I can do. You've done it yourself through my power. You can get there. You can get to the place where you can wrap your mind properly around who I am and what I'm capable of, do, capable of doing and what that means for you in terms of who you are and what you're capable of doing. Don't forget, I'm dying and it's going to be you that carries on this work. I won't be the one here doing it. It'll be me through you. Come on. You can get there. You can get to the place where I won't have to keep reminding you that I'm God. Where I won't have to keep reminding you that I can do these things. The Father said to Jesus, if you can. That's the kind of stuff Jesus was putting up with all the time. People questioning his authority, questioning where his power came from, questioning whether or not he was even God. And Jesus' heart was for people to get there. He longed and had angst for them to embrace the truth. That is why he said what he said. Jesus answers, if you can, everything is possible for him who believes. 
The question isn't if he can, it's if we believe he can. Immediately the voice father exclaims, I do believe, I do. Help me overcome my unbelief. I can just imagine that response must have been music to Jesus' ears. Here is someone confronted with the truth with a capital T and they pick belief. This man was making a radical decision in this moment. I don't know if he'd ever witnessed Jesus perform a miracle before or not, or if he just heard about it. But in that moment, Jesus, or this man had to decide, am I going to put my faith in what I've known to be true so far? Or am I going to choose to step out in faith and believe for a miracle, believe that this man is who he says he is and this man can do what he says he can do, that he has power over demons and can help my boy. And so he chooses the thing that requires us to go outside of our human understanding. He chooses belief and faith in the God of miracles. And what happens? Jesus rebukes the evil spirit and it goes. Jesus takes care of it. Now the disciples' response is to be confused. They couldn't understand why they weren't able to take care of that. So they asked Jesus, why, why weren't we able to take care of that? In Mark, he tells them it's because it only comes out by prayer or prayer and fasting, some manuscripts say. And in Matthew, he tells them it's because they don't have enough faith. This kind only comes out by prayer and fasting. You don't have enough faith. What do those things mean? You need to rely on me. You need to get your power and your understanding of this from me. It's me you need to be focused on. Now the disciples were obviously operating with some semblance of belief and faith because they'd done it before. They saw that Jesus' power was um, possible to be using to get a demon to leave somebody. They knew that was a fact. But in the moment where they were trying to do this for this boy, it wasn't working. And I'm wondering if it was because they were relying more on their previous experience than on the power of God in that moment. Which is why Jesus had to remind them, it's not about what you did last time. It's not about what you've known to be true in the past. It's only going to happen if it's me. If you rely on me by prayer and fasting, if you have enough faith in me. We can be so full of good intentions, can't we? But if our eyes are even just ever so slightly off of Jesus, if we're getting our security or our comfort or our ideas about what to do in any given situation from our pasts or our systems or our processes or our experience or our traditions, we may not fully experience the full power of the cross in our lives. And we may find ourselves feeling like the disciples wondering, why isn't this working? The spiritual realities of this world cannot be made sense of by our own human understanding. We need Jesus. The fact that there is a spiritual battle, that's a reality. Ephesians 6 tells us this. Our battle is not of this world. 
And whether we like to talk about it or not, whether we want to look at it or not, it's happening. It's happening all around us and it is personal. Someone has been quoted as saying, both the devil and Jesus have plans for your life. Whose plan do you want to follow? If we're not willing to acknowledge there's another plan at work in our lives, we can become an unwitting participant in it. Jesus' plan is to invite us into faith in him, where he says everything is possible and nothing is impossible. I don't know about you, but those are massive statements that blow my mind. I have no ability to understand what that looks like practically. But I know that in this particular situation, confronted with demon possession, a demon that was throwing someone into the fire and the water to kill them, Jesus said, nothing's impossible. That's not too strong for me. I am stronger if you believe. Somebody needs to hear this here this morning. Whatever stronghold you feel stuck in, whatever sin you feel is strangling you, Jesus is stronger than that. It is not too big for him. He is bigger than it. And he wants you to be free from it. Freedom is possible for you. We say amen. But do we actually believe that? Do we seek after it? Do we long for it? Are we living like we can do all things through him who gives us strength? Or are we living like an unbelieving and perverse generation with a powerless faith that's just come to accept that sometimes we just can't get over the thing that ensnares us and that we'll have to wait till heaven to be free? In Jeremiah 32, 27, God says to Jeremiah, I am the Lord, the God of all mankind. Is anything too hard for me? What's our answer to that? Let's watch Mike's story about how nothing is too hard for God. I said, Billy, I think no matter what I do, I fail. It fails. And I just don't know how to stop it, he says. And I think, de I think demons are following me everywhere I go. And he looked at me and he says, you better be here tonight at 7 p.m. And I said, where? He said, here. Right in there. And I said, okay. I was hoping that to, to see some changes. Mm -hmm. That's why I came down to get some help. Mm -hmm. And I just voluntarily walked into this church, even though 
I didn't know whether I'm going to make it or not because I was lost. Mm-hmm. I remember that night that uh, during the prayers, I start shaking inside. And my eyes closed by itself. I didn't close my eyes. It's just like I was in the med- during the meditation or something. I don't know, all of a sudden I'm meditating. And then I felt light that that load is coming off my shoulder. And I felt that dark side, that dark thing that I cannot explain it. During that a few seconds, I'd say maybe 10 seconds, I felt like something just, I saw a shadow just left my side, from my side, from this side, my hip. I thought my eyes are open, but it was closed, but I saw it. Mm-hmm. And I'm not the type of a guy to imagine things or create hallucination for myself. No, I was never like that. But I saw that the cross is on my right side, and I see something just left and took off from me like the speed of sound. But I see a little light too. While my eyes were closed, it was dark. But I see a little light just left my side, like the speed of sun. As soon as I open my eyes, I'm crying. And I didn't know I was crying. To me, it was something which I call it a miracle for me. As a result of that day, that, that night, from the next day, I woke up. In fact, I slept really well that night. What happened? I see things differently now. Honestly, it was a brighter daylight for me than it was two days before. And I could not figure it out. But I said, let Lord help me out as he helped me yesterday let him to be my guidance and i started from there that day mm-hmm. and then now i have no problem from the next day i was talking that to people they said i have no problem and one of them says hey three days ago you were so depressed you were cussing and swearing at the whole world and now you say you have no problem and I said, this is what happened. I'm being honest with you, this is what happened. I don't know what, what got into under my skin since yesterday. But I feel like I'm a different guy. I'm not that stressed out, mad, angry son of a gun. But I'm not anymore. I'm not mad at anything. And thanks to Jesus Christ and all the people in this church that supported me, backed me up, and at some point before I get, uh, before I was baptized, they allow me to lean on them because they find out that this guy needs help, even though I wasn't asking for it, but they felt it. 
and they never le uh, left my side. Jesus said in Luke 4, verses 18 to 19, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he's anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, and to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. What's imprisoning you right now? Is it anger? Is it lust? Is it pride? Is it gluttony? Is it addiction? Those things are not too big for Jesus. It is what he came for. It is what he died for. I want to highlight three classic tactics that the enemy uses to keep us living like slaves even though we're free. First is the obvious one, sin. It's tempting us to go back into the places that Jesus died to set us free from. Those tender, vulnerable places that he knows are a weakness for us. And he just goes at it again and again and again and again, inviting us back into that place where we fall, where we turn our back on what Jesus says and go towards the thing that ensnares us. Habitual sin is something that we can feel such shame and condemnation about. You need to know it's a tactic of the enemy. It is by design. He wants you stuck. He wants you thinking there's no way out. And yeah, you're going to go to heaven one day. Jesus took care of that. But he can't take care of this. You're just stuck with it. It's funny how we can believe that God has enough power to raise Jesus from the dead and forgive our sins, but he doesn't have enough power to help us with this thing we're struggling with. We'd never actually say those words, but that's what we're saying if we think we're just stuck with this thing. Which leads to the second tactic of the enemy. Getting us to believe the lie that in fact, the devil has won. That this sin or temptation that we struggle with is too big for us to be saved from this side of heaven. And that we won't get to experience true freedom until we get to heaven. That's the enemy working in our lives to try to get us to think that God is not powerful enough. Because he knows he doesn't stand a chance if we put him against Jesus and Jesus' power. He wants us to go against him with our power. Because he knows we will not stand a chance. There is no amount of willpower or self-control in the human realm that is a match for the works of the enemy. Only Jesus has what it takes to free us. Some of you might be sitting here this morning feeling like I'm blaming you for not having enough faith. Please hear me, that's not what I'm saying. That's what the enemy wants you to believe. That you're stuck because of you. Yes, we're responsible for our sinful choices. Yes, we have to take responsibility for those things. But we also have to understand this is a spiritual battle. There's more at work than just your lack of self-control here. 
So then when we read verses like the ones we read this morning, when we're caught in the throes of bondage, the enemy whispers in our ear things like, see, I told you, this is because you're weak. It's because of you and your lack of belief. Even Jesus is annoyed with you. He calls you unbelieving and perverse. He can't help you. You don't have enough faith for him to help you. See, the enemy would rather us to feel defeated than to believe that there's hope. Because he wants us stuck in shame and condemnation and a feeling of powerlessness so that we just give up and say, oh well, I guess this is just the way it is. I'm destined to live like this until heaven. The third tactic is getting us to believe other kinds of lies about ourselves, our situation, and our God. Lies that end up forming such a great foundation to slide us right back into behaviors that get us stuck. Lies that our worth is diminished because of our sins. Lies that we're maybe not even saved because of the sins we keep committing. Lies that God doesn't care about us or has abandoned us, and that's why we keep falling. Lies that we don't currently have anything going on in our lives that needs the power of Jesus to help us. We're okay. We're doing okay. We're saved. We're going to heaven. Jesus took care of that, but we're okay now. We don't need that work in our lives anymore. We're doing well. Or that we just need to bury our heads in, our sa- in the sand and not look at or think about what we're struggling with, and maybe it'll just go away. doesn't matter where we are on that continuum of lies what one we're believing. It's a lie we're believing. And those lies make us incredibly vulnerable and susceptible to engaging in sinful behavior again, either because we're not on solid ground or because our head's in the sand. We all need the sanctifying work and power of Jesus Christ in our lives every single day, whether we're a new Christian or a very seasoned Christian. And it's a lie if you're being told otherwise. I think that's one of the reasons why we're told to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ in 2 Corinthians 10, 5, and why Romans 12, 2 tells us that we're we're renewed by the trans, or we're transformed by the renewing of our minds because it's in our minds, it's what we believe and think that impacts what we feel and do. And it's either a gateway towards greater freedom or a gateway towards greater bondage. But it's not a lack of faith to struggle with trying to wrap our minds around how big and mighty God is. That's what the father in our story was doing. He said, I believe, but help me with my unbelief. It doesn't have to make sense to us fully for God to respond to our call for help and do something. We don't have to have it all figured out. That's not what it means to have faith. What it means to have faith is that we believe he can even when it doesn't make sense to us. Even when we don't know how to figure out how to fix it ourselves. That's faith. That's where the power lies in who we believe in and in what we believe he's capable of doing. That's where the power lies. When we let circumstances or people or our past experiences or our theological framework be where we put our faith, that 
is where a lack of faith seeps in. There are people here this morning who are desperate for freedom. Feels like everything's been tried and it's failed. Therapy, confession, treatment, attempts at self-control, accountability groups, just feels like a constant failure. Some people who are talking about those struggles, others who are hiding them, pretending. I believe it's Jesus' heart for us to be a people who are truly free. It's what he died for. I believe he wants us to be invited into a posture where we declare that we believe and where we ask him to help us with our unbelief. And so that's actually what we're going to do here this morning. In just a minute, I'm going to ask you to join me in praying a declaration where we will actually do just that. After we do that prayer, we're going to move to communion where we're going to actually get to remember what Jesus did on the cross for us that actually gives us this freedom. It's where it comes from. And then after you take communion, which is going to be at stations, and there'll be a glove station at the back there if you feel you need or want that, the offering plates will be there as well. After we take communion, if Jesus is doing a work in you this morning, if the Spirit has been saying to you, it's time, it's time for you to be free of this thing that has ensnared you, that's been causing you to live like a slave. There will be prayer teams scattered close to the communion stations. In fact, if you've agreed to help me, could you just get up now and go, to, go stand close to one of the stations so people can see who you are? After you've taken communion, you can go to one of those prayer teams and they will pray with you. Jesus told the disciples, prayer and fasting and faith, that's what makes a difference. So these people will pray with you and believe with you that Jesus wants your greater freedom to start today. If you aren't able to get to a communion station or to one of the prayer people, wave at them, wave at an usher, and they will make sure you get properly taken care of. Before we, we do the prayer and take communion, I also want to say, there may be some after-prayer work that Jesus wants to do with you regarding what you pray about this morning. After somebody is released from prison, their freedom is theirs, but their freedom gets maintained and enhanced by what they do or don't do with their freedom afterwards. You may need to book a time to talk with one of the pastors about this new path that Jesus has cleared for you this morning you may need to join Celebrate Recovery so that you get support for what it is that Jesus is leading in you into greater freedom from. Or some counseling, or a spiritual mentor, or join a small group, or something else. But what I know for sure is that Jesus wants your greater freedom to start here this morning. So join me as we pray this prayer together out loud. Before we do, I'm just going to ask um, the Spirit to speak. So, Lord Jesus, I just ask that as everybody uh, quiets their hearts before you, that if there are things you want people to have greater freedom from, that as they are praying this prayer, that you will bring those things to mind 
and that they will know that that's what they're to say in that blank space um, so that they're in line with what you're calling them into this morning. Amen. Okay, please join me. Lord Jesus, I believe that you died and rose again, which has secured a way for me to be saved and to spend eternity with you in heaven one day. I also believe that you came to set captives free and to release the oppressed. It is not your desire for me that I be held captive by. I want to be free from this. So in your strong name, Lord Jesus, I confess and refuse any and all ways that I have agreed with, participated in, and given place in my life to. Please unleash your power in me, Lord Jesus, through your Holy Spirit, and bring me greater freedom in this area than I have ever had before. I believe you can and will do this for me, Jesus. Please help me overcome my unbelief. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. And Lord Jesus, we thank you that you died on the cross for our sins. We thank you that you secured our greater freedom, that with your body broken and your blood shed, you established a new covenant for us that offers us the opportunity to be ushered into the kingdom of God, the family of God, and that gives us the opportunity to live as free children today. As we take this bread and we drink this cup, we remember you and we thank you for your sacrifice and for your redeeming work on the cross. In Jesus' powerful name I pray. Amen.